So why does a world champion tennis player still need a coach? Stay tuned to find out. You're listening to Braving Bad Bosses with Jeff DeWolf and Todd Chandler, where we discuss how to survive a bad boss and not be one. Welcome back to Season 3 of Braving Bad Bosses. This is Jeff DeWolf. Uh, we are in the middle of Season 3, as I mentioned. Uh, the first two seasons, we spent a lot of time talking about the behaviors and lack of behaviors of bad bosses. In Season 3, we're talking about breaking the cycle of bad bossing. What can we learn right now to avoid becoming or continuing to be the kind of boss that people just want to escape from. So this season is a little different. We're not focusing on the behaviors of our bad bosses from our past. We're actually looking forward and saying, what can we do to become the kind of leader we want to be, the kind of leader we have wanted to have? And to do that, we're going through a series of topics that come from a book that I published in December of 2019 called Leaders Lead. And we're using the chapters of that book as a general rule to follow for this season. And we come now to a chapter that I called Maximizing Results. But it's not really probably what you think it is, because ultimately the thought here is that maximizing results is something that we as leaders need to do. And the only way to do that is through constructive criticism. Why I included this as a chapter and why I think this is such an important topic for leaders is that many of us can go through our, our career as leaders avoiding the provision of constructive criticism. Uh, it just, it's uncomfortable. It's a task that is required if we want to maximize results on our team, if we want to help people maximize the results that, that they're producing. We have to be willing to uh, get the courage to point out when, when things need to be fixed, when, what things need to be improved. Um, and I'm not suggesting that we, we create a negative environment that's just constant criticism, all right? That's definitely not what I'm saying. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But what we are doing is we're, we're trying to establish what I call a coaching culture, which is a culture that is open to feedback, that sees it as normal. And so we'll talk about that in just a second. So back to, this, uh, back to the opening. Why does somebody like Roger Federer or, or Serena Williams you know, need a coach? Why do they still spend money, and I'm assuming probably pretty big money, for a coach when you've already won, you know, dozens of uh, Grand Slam tournaments, you're one of the best of all times, you still pay a coach. Well, I think it's because they know they continue to have room for improvement. They know that their bodies are changing, that as they're aging, they're, they're going to need to adjust their tennis swing. They're going to need to start doing things differently. Um, Roger Federer, for instance, probably doesn't hire his coach to say, you know, come, you know, watch me in practice, work with me in practice, just point out what I'm doing really well. No, Roger Federer expects his coach to point out when there's something that can be improved. He expects criticism. That's what coaching is. It's not just patting me on the back, telling me I'm a great champion. I don't need that right? I don't need that. What I need is someone to point out what I don't see. And that's what coaching is. And we want to create that culture that says, you know what, it's okay for me to point out when I think there's something that you can do better. So I mentioned earlier this idea of establishing a coaching culture. Um, and this is a very important step. So if you are on a team, if you have a couple of people reporting to you, and you don't feel like there is openness to feedback. If you don't feel comfortable going to someone and saying, hey, um, I noticed in the meeting that you said this, and I think we need to work on that, then I think it's time to establish a coaching culture. 
That's very simple. It's, it's going to your team and saying, hey, listen, you know what? I'm looking back and I'm realizing I'm not doing my job. I'm not doing my job as a leader in helping, helping you improve personally, helping you be aware of things that may be concerning me or concerning my boss. I'm not doing you any favors. I'm not doing the team any favors. And so I want to ask your permission to coach. And uh, I know it sounds weird when you're, the, when you're the boss, when you're the manager, to say, can I have your permission to point out when I think things need to be improved? But doing that creates that little mental bond with the employee that says, yeah, I, I want that. They want to know when they're not meeting expectations. Even if they don't agree with your evaluation, they still want to know that, that you don't agree. And so that's, that's establishing the culture of coaching. And at the same time, if it makes it easier, you can give them permission to coach you. And I encourage that. Say, listen, I know that I'm probably not living up to my role. I'm probably not leading as well as I should be. And I give you permission to coach me. So if you see something that I'm doing or something I'm not doing that you need more of, please coach me. Tell me. I will do my best to respond well to it. <laughs> you know, we're all in it together when it comes to the tendency to feel defensive when we get, you know, when we get feedback. So that's, that's how we establish the coaching culture. It's a great place to start. Um, it breaks the ice so that it's less difficult to have that first coaching session. And then when you get together with someone to provide some feedback, you can say, hey, remember how we agreed that we were going to have a culture like this? Well, here's a moment when I need to rely on that agreement. All right, let's jump into how to have this meeting. So let's, ass let's assume that you've kind of all come to agreement that you're going to have constructive coaching sessions and that coaching sessions are meant to be critical. They're meant to provide constructive criticism. Call it negative feedback, if you will. What's the best way to have that constructive feedback meeting? Well, I think um, generally as a rule of thumb, the, the old adage that you should criticize in private, praise in public is a good rule of thumb. As a starting point, assume that it's best to provide negative feedback, constructive criticism, whatever you want to call it, in private. So um, how do you do it? What do you do? Well, the one thing I think you should not do is what they call the feedback sandwich. Now, I, I grew up in my professional life believing that the only way to have a hard conversation is to do the feedback sandwich. Some people call it something else, but we'll just keep it clean and call it the feedback sandwich. But, it, you know, it's the, it's the old idea that you start with something positive and, you know, kind of warm them up, and then you hit them with the negative stuff, but you try to end the meeting with something positive about what they're doing. Now, in general... I don't think it's necessarily a huge issue, but it can be very, very disingenuous if you think about it. The reason that it's not recommended is because everyone knows about it, okay? So you're not fooling anybody when you come up and say, hey, how you doing? Yeah, oh, you look really nice today. And um, you know, how was your uh, weekend? And in the whole time, you know, you're sweating, you're nervous, and they know what's coming. And then you go, okay, so anyway, um, about your performance. And then at the end, so, uh, but, you, but you're, really, uh, you're really good with customers. It just doesn't work. In a coaching culture, you don't need to waste time with feedback sandwiches. Uh, it's disingenuous. It actually erodes trust as people start to question the nice things that you're saying. Are they buttering me up? You know, do they really believe I'm doing a good job in this area? Or are they just using that for the top half of the feedback sandwich? So instead of a feedback sandwich, I want you to have a BLT. All right, so I know that's kind of, that's kind of odd. But it's a way to remember what the meeting should look like. So a BLT, not a bacon, lettuce, and tomato, although that sounds really delicious right now. The B stands for be direct. Don't waste a lot of time. When you're having a meeting to talk about something that needs to be fixed, get right to it. 
you know, tell them why, you, why you're meeting and why you're concerned. So we're going to be direct. That doesn't mean be abrupt and be rude, right? But it just means don't beat around the bush with a bunch of flowery language. Just get right to it. They want you to get to it. You want to get to it. Be direct. The L stands for listen. In this feedback meeting, this conversation, it should be a conversation, not a one-way, you did this wrong, now go do a better job. We want to listen. We want to be open to their perspective on what and why something happened or what and why their performance was as it was. That's listening. We don't want to monologue. We want to make sure they have an opportunity to be heard. Um, one way to do that is to tell them that they're going to get a chance. So it kind of goes like this. Uh, Joe, I want to talk to you about the meeting that we were just in because I have a few concerns. Um, here's what I saw, and this is why I'm concerned by it. Um, but I want, I want you to know that I'm going to give you a chance to give me your perspective before we finish the meeting so that we can, we can come to conclusions on what happened and, and what we need to do going forward. And so by saying something like that, you're setting up, you're telling Joe he's going to get a chance to give his side of the story. He, he doesn't have to be immediately defensive. He can listen knowing that he's going to get a chance to explain, if you will, what happened. Okay, so the T stands for transition. And, uh, and that just means that, we you know what, we want to transition out of this meeting. We want to find a way to end the meeting because we don't want to spend an hour or two of our day um, kind of hashing through this. So the T reminds us to transition after we've had a good, a good dialogue about the issue. Transition, you should be doing two things. You should be thinking about getting commitment about the change needed, number one. That's the first thing you want to do. That's what transition is. You've had a dialogue about it. You may not 100% agree on what happened or what needs to happen, but you still need to get commitment. Hey, you know what? I know we don't 100% agree on what, we, what happened in that meeting, but I need your commitment that going forward um, we're going to do this this way or do this differently. Getting a verbal affirmation from someone helps build that commitment that going forward behavior will change, and you'll get, you'll get the kind of results that you were hoping to get. Second, I think you should be clear about consequences during transition. If there are any consequences, you need to communicate those before the end of the meeting, right? So if the person did something offensive, made an offensive comment, there may be a consequence to that. It could be some time off. It could be um, notifying them that you know, there's going to have to need to be a notation in their file about X, Y, and Z. Whatever the consequence is, if there is any, maybe the consequence is simply going back and redoing something that needs to be redone. That's a little bit about what to do in the BLT meeting. Um, so be direct, get right to it, tell them why you need to meet and why you're concerned about that issue. Listen, get dialogue, be open to their perspective, and then transition. Get commitment and explain any consequences that may be a result of whatever the meeting is about. So let's say that one of your people just messed up. When should you provide that corrective feedback to them? When should you have that feedback conversation? You know, the, the rule of thumb is as quickly after, as soon after that event happens, the better, right? Now, there's one exception to this. If what has happened has set you off, if you are furious, okay, if you are angry, if you are embarrassed, whatever, by this activity, by this behavior, um, it is a really good idea not to uh, have that meeting immediately. You need to take a little time probably to regulate your own emotions in order to have a constructive meeting. Give it 30 minutes at least. Check your pulse. Are you calm enough to have this meeting? Wait till you're not angry. You definitely do not want to have a feedback session while you're angry, embarrassed, frustrated, or whatever. Give it some time. It may take a couple hours. It may be the next day. You don't want to take a month because you need to be close to the event. Um, but just give it a little bit of time if your emotions are out of balance. 
Okay, so I want to end on the positive. I've spent the whole time talking about the need to devote effort to providing constructive criticism. And at first glance, you may look at this and go, great, who wants to work in an environment where I'm being constantly criticized? I'm constantly having things pointed out. I did nine things really well, but the tenth thing he, he points out. That can be a toxic environment if we're not careful. Even if we've established a coaching culture that says that I'm going to be open to negative feedback, we still need to focus on the positive. There are studies that show for people to consider a workplace to be healthy, that positive interactions need to outweigh negative interactions five to one or six to one in some cases I've seen. What does that mean? That means there still has to be praise. There still has to be recognition. There still has to be friendly greetings. There still has to be interest shown in personal lives. Um, every time there's a positive interaction, it makes a deposit in the culture, right? So those things still need to be present. You cannot avoid those things and expect to have a culture that's open to negative criticism, to constructive criticism. Um, that constructive criticism needs to be surrounded by a general atmosphere of positive interaction. And that tells bells. So I don't want to miss that point as we finish this, uh, this discussion about providing constructive criticism. We still have to be focused on the positive. So after Hell's Bells, um, it's time to go ahead and sum up. And to sum up, we're using the three points to review, five questions to consider, and one action to take from the back of each chapter of Leaders Lead. So here they are, three points to review. Number one, most leaders feel a real fear about providing negative feedback, and therefore we tend to avoid it. That's just a fact. When something's uncomfortable, we tend to avoid it, and leaders are no exception to that. Number two, we can create a culture of coaching that permits frequent constructive feedback while remaining characterized by positivity and friendly interactions. It is possible. Number three, having constructive feedback conversations are easier with a very simple, honest, structured approach that allows for a smooth transition and a maintained relationship. Don't go into the meeting without a plan and keep it simple. Use the BLT. All right. Five questions to consider. These are the ones that you should reflect upon right now. Is there a general spirit of defensiveness and excuse making on my team? Number two, do I spend enough time recognizing good performance and behavior? Number three, do I need to provide permission to my team to give me coaching about my leadership? Number four, when I share criticism or correct an associate, do I get to the point while communicating a spirit of openness? And number five, do my coaching sessions have dialogue? Think about that. A lot of times they don't. We just want to send our message and get back to work. Dialogue is important. All right, so here's the one action I would recommend you take. At your next staff meeting or in your one-on-ones, share your desire to create that coaching culture. Provide permission to be coached on your own leading and ask for permission to share feedback more often. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that most of you could probably benefit from resetting an expectation of coaching on your team. And, um, you know, fall on your sword. If you're the leader, take ownership for it. I realize that I haven't done this. I haven't established this culture. But I think we need to for the good of the organization and for the good of each of us as individuals. So that's your one action to take. I hope this has been helpful for you. It's a very difficult thing to do in real life. And so I'm hoping that maybe you've gained a couple of ideas that you can implement in starting to have more constructive criticism meetings with you and your staff. And with that, let me just remind you, it is possible to break the cycle of bad bossing 
if you adopt the mindset and skill set of real life leadership. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.